this week uh, and joining me on mental health bar this week is my good friend tom glibbery uh, tom is a autism advocate he um, raises money for autistic charities he's advocate for awareness about the autistic community and um, people on the spectrum doing a lot of work in his own career paths and his own uh, social lives and own, own hobbies in order to raise awareness on the subject of autism and uh, asperger's and people on the spectrum um, is that about right, Tom? Would you say what would you say yeah. that you're you doing around this? What I really want to, to do is I want to create a positive, um, po positive autistic role model. I don't feel that the majority of representations of autism in the media are especially positive or aspirational. So I, I want to provide a role model of an effective, reasonably successful, happy human being who happens to be autistic. Um, and I want to advocate for people with autism who haven't yet found their voice. Because, um, yeah, coming out, I always refer to it as coming out. Coming out about autism is absolutely terrifying. Best thing I ever did, but it was terrifying. Well, I can imagine. And, and that's what, that was another reason I've, got, I've asked you to come on the show, is because you came out as autistic, as, we, as you said, but you had your diagnosis of autism later in life, and a lot of people yeah. struggle through with symptoms without even realising. Do we call it symptoms? I don't know what the correct terminology I'm is. Just, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not great on the lexicon, so if I say something wrong and I offend uh, a fellow ASD, um, advocate i can only apologize uh yeah i'm i'm not up to date on the lexicon i know that in some parties the, the diagnosis asperger's is um is considered a bit offensive or potentially risky because it's got i think the scientist it's named after was a bit of a nazi um <laughs> a bit of a nazi however um <laughs> i thought it was a binary uh, position <laughs> we either are or you aren't a nazi he was a nazi uh, <laughs> so um but it's a phrase I prefer to use because I feel if I were to say to someone, oh, I'm high functioning autistic, then it's more ambiguous. Or if I say to someone, um, I've been diagnosed with Asperger's, uh, people's expectations of what that means, I believe is a bit more clear. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not great on, on the relevant lingo. Um, I think what it's, it's, so I I'm, think I'm it's... happy to take symptoms or they characteristics take symptoms. perhaps. Or, or no well, traits. I think traits, traits is the word. That's a better word. So I think there's going to be people there that are listening to this who are um, autistic or on the spectrum or, or just more involved with uh, the understanding of the lexicon, as you said, uh, that would be screaming at us. It's traits, autistic traits. But yeah. uh, it's because I, I think that symptoms is, is something that you and me and our generation were taught that autism was a problem. It was a problem in the brain, whereas now we know that it's neurodiversity. Autism is just a different type of brain, like being left-handed or right-handed. Yeah. yeah. So how, was that, what, what do you understand by that? Have, have you learned more on oh, that? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I totally believe it's that we've all got different flavor brains. So, um, mm. yeah, I mean, I've, I've got clinical depression. That's not because, that's not because there's anything wrong with, 
my emotional state at the moment, it's because I've got a chemical imbalance in the brain. I'm autistic because my brain is wired up differently. There's billions and billions of neuron connections. So the odds that people have got a different types of characteristic traits as a result of that, that's, yeah, I'm, I, that, that makes sense to me. That we've just got brains wired up differently. And so much of, so many of the autistic traits relate to brain function, uh, like sort of memory, um, memory and recall is, is an often cited trait, particularly for high functioning Asperger's. So yeah, I think it's that some people have got their brain wired up differently. Um, and this particular collective of brain wirings are, are autistic. Well, see, that's, uh, I always think, and also there's a, a bunch of stuff that goes with that, where it's not just brain wirings, it's societal expectations that then cause people who are autistic to behave in a certain way to mask their autism, which we were talking about yeah. just before we came on. So with that, I wanted to lead into your journey. So you, you're, I, don't, I can't remember how old you are, but you're in your 30s. I knew we're similar ages but I I know I'm older although I always think of you as the adult so that's that's the (laughs) the, which is (laughs) but that's that comes from the fact that you have a bookcase behind you and I have a green screen with a with a house that I had to pretend I own the bookcase behind me uh on that side contains no one of them is Lego Jurassic Park. The other is actually books, but the other is Lego Jurassic Park. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with Lego Jurassic Park. It's a classic. Um, but so, you're th- yeah, as you say, you're 36. Yeah. You, when were you diagnosed? How long have you been diagnosed? So I got my psychiatrist letter um, in January 2013. Okay. Um, so I would have been 25. However, I knew that, I knew that, I was different from, well, yeah, I knew, I've, I've always known that I was different and the older I got, the more different um, I became aware that I was. And I don't think there's a single autistic person who was diagnosed as an adult who didn't know that something was very different to their peers um, throughout the, the whole childhood. Um, it's not a diagnosis that comes out of the blue. Um, you know, you, you just, you know, because you're coming at things from a different angle. Um, so I always experienced that I was, yeah, I was always looking at things from a different perspective, uh, which sometimes meant things went completely over my head, or sometimes it actually was advantageous in terms of being able to see alternative solutions. But um, yeah, I was always very aware of it. And um, then, um, but I didn't know what it was. Um, because this is this is why um, being a role model is such a key part of what I want to achieve. Because the uh, depictions of autism in the media are so non-functional, really. People yeah. like uh, it's a brilliant film, but Brain Man. Um, it doesn't it doesn't explicitly state that he is on the autistic spectrum, but it's quite clear that he's on the autistic spectrum, and that's not that's not an aspirational figure um no. so i had always shied away from any thoughts of, of autism and then um a colleague said to me oh i did an online um autism test and actually i came out really high and he mentioned a couple of things on there and i was like oh maybe that's what 
that maybe that is how I could describe <laughs> maybe that's what it is. my alternative interpretation of reality. So I did probably about 20 different tests that evening, all came back <laughs> with no gray area whatsoever. Um, um, so then I had that idea in my brain, but at that point, that would have been a good three, four years before I got my diagnosis. But the catalyst that actually put the diagnosis uh, in place, um, it was it was living with my wife because yeah. it's very easy to it's very easy to be abnormal when you're on your own, uh, but when you're with someone else, some of the things that I do that are utterly unreasonable and are purely a product of learned behaviour and coping strategies came to a head. And I remember we had uh, I was utterly in the wrong. Um, I, we had a very petty argument where I had got very upset over something utterly meaningless. And at that point I had to say, look, I, yeah, uh, I think it's because I think it's because I'm autistic. So yeah, I was 25 and went and got the piece of paper. And at that point it was just, uh, yeah, I'm so pleased I got the piece of paper. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, so I know from my own, um, not, and again, I don't want to say that autism is a mental health problem, but with my own struggles with mental health, the getting that bit of paper can be so important because not only does it tell you that there is something you, you've been thinking of all along, it's just me, it's just me, it's just me, and actually it's you're just undiagnosed with something, but actually it opens yeah. up all the resources that you should yeah. have access to. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, this is always something that I think is really underestimated in value it gives you a community to relate to finally rather than feeling like you're on the periphery of something so when i was told i was bipolar i was like ah now there's these other people i can go and find who will talk to me and tell me that what i'm feeling is normal rather than Mm. assuming that I'm wrong all the time. Because a doctor can say what they like, a therapist can say what they like. It's perfectly normal, it's okay, it's perfectly normal, it's okay. But And I know, again, autism, bipolar, bipolar is a mental health disorder, autism is a different type of brain. Um, it, I'm just using it because it's a comparison from my own experience. Yeah, um, and it's and comorbid guessing... with a whole suite of mental health disorders, so... Yeah. Yeah, well, I've got no see... problem with that. Comorbid, sorry, I was going to say comorbid is a, a term that we have to clarify here because some people won't know what it means. It, 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 it's, what does it mean for you? Because we've had this discussion so, just before we came. So uh, uh, just speaking generally, a comorbid, comorbid condition is that if you have one disease, even like a physical disease, then odds are you'll probably get another one. Um, and that's just the same with mental health conditions is that if you have this one, you'll probably be getting another one. Uh, it might be a specific result of how the mental uh, mental condition makes you feel. So a lot of autistic people have been diagnosed with clinical depression because you know what? A lot of autistic people are really depressed and the suicide rate among high-functioning autistic peoples is really disproportionate. Um, but there's other comorbid conditions um, particularly things like ADHD or ADD um, that are more likely actually a part of just the general alternative wiring of the brain. So mm. yes, yeah, you're not guaranteed to have these other things if you've got the one, but um, 
it's yeah you're very very likely if you if you are on the autistic spectrum to have anxiety uh social affective disorder clinical depression add adhd um because that's the complicated brain that you've got to live with <laughs> well adhd is neurodiversity isn't it that's it's, it's being on yeah. the spectrum that's, yeah it's part of it so things like depression come from masking and come from society demanding certain things and your brain being wired to not be able to deal with that and 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 and, and uh, we've spoken on this before um the not you and me and on the the show as well the um society is wired for one very specific type of person that's not even that yeah. common and some people can do and ev- that's why anxiety exists that's why depression exists because people are trying to fit into this society that's not really designed for a majority of people it's designed for a yeah small minority um but with with so i'm i'm i'm, I'm, I'm now i'm straying from the subject because i always get onto that i'm always like society is wrong we need to burn it down um but that's not that's not what we're here for um tom we're, we're very very good friends we've known each other for a few years now i don't know how many it feels like forever but i think it's only two or three but it feels like i think it's only two or three but it I just feel feels like, like we... forever yeah, we get on really well. <laughs> we get on really well, so, and yeah. and, uh, and it's probably because we're both uh, we're, we're both mental. Um, that's yeah. that's the thing. Uh, I I call it mental because I'm trying to reclaim it. I feel like that's my word now, rather yeah, than what uh, they... I call it mental. <laughs> yeah, it's just easier. I think some people who watch and listen to this might take offence at that, but at the same time, uh, you know, I get to call it what I want. That's <laughs> I get to call my thing. Yeah. What do you call your thing? What do you call your oh? Oh, I say I'm a bit mental. Um, here's my search for Lee. I refer to them in my house as my anti-mental pills. Um, anti-mental pills. Yeah, I say I'm a bit mental. But, and, and, and growing up, so this is, that's, that's why I'm asking about that, is growing up, was that something that was taken away from you? Like, did, were you bullied about it at school and um, it was a big problem? Or? So that's a, really, that's a really complicated one. So... Um, Without going into too much detail, no. my mother is in dire need of mental health intervention. And I grew up in a household where mental health, mental illness was an absolute red flag. I remember I remember one time she was uh she'd made friends with someone. We were seeing we were seeing them a lot. And then I remember she went to this lady's bathroom saw that she had a bottle of lithium tablets we left the house immediately and never spoke to her again because this lady was mentally unwell so we couldn't we couldn't associate with her so so yes so i grew up very much um mental health is uh, mental illness is you're a pariah if you uh, if you are mentally ill so it's It was a bit of a paradigm shift for me when I moved out of that environment and got to learn a bit more about humanity and then started to think about that normal people have mental illness um, and that it doesn't automatically make you a pariah. Um, So, yeah, that was that was quite a transition. But certainly with school, um, school was school was difficult, Um, I think. I uh, yeah, um, I think that there can be very few 
people on the autistic spectrum who go through school without a diagnosis who can have too many happy memories of school. School is about conformity. School is about learning how to be like your peers. Everything is about peer emulation, fitting in, collective, uh, you all sharing the same goals, sharing the same behavior traits. And it doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh, you can try to mirror as much as possible, but uh, I mean, certainly mirroring is a, is a shielding technique that I used a lot, but I was very poor at deciding who to mirror. Um, right. I, I'd pick lowest common denominator people to mirror because I would hope I wouldn't get rejected by them. Um, so whilst I would always, my behaviour was very good because it had to be because that was the rule. That was the rule. Um, I was often friends with people who weren't positive influences at all because I chose mirroring. And other occasions, obviously, I chose isolation as a technique, which whilst I got a lot of reading done and it was it was very peaceful when you when society spots you again that's that's tough so yeah it wasn't really yeah and yeah uh, school could have been a lot school school could have been a lot better I would love to be in a learning environment just not with the other people <laughs> yeah you've got to but that's I, I think that's a big sign of autism isn't it is the hyperfixation of things to the point of wanting to learn certain things, but then with people around you, you get overwhelmed, right? As well, that's yeah. part of it massively. And yeah, yeah. And I, I was going to say, I know from our conversations that you will become very interested in stuff, and then you'll go right. Well, that's all I'm going to think about for ages, and get yeah, it. yeah. And it will become, but uh, which you can't do in school. They don't like that. They're no, it doesn't. It doesn't really work like that. Uh... <laughs> no. Well, that's what I'm trying to get at is, is that there's going to be people who are listening who are like, oh, light bulbs are going to be going on. They're going to be like, that's what it was like for me. And so you went through that. It was horrible. Not great. I, I don't think anyone who has had that situation has enjoyed school. And what did you do to start? So you're a teenager, you early 20s. What did you do to start your diagnosis? How did you get that? What was the, you had so, an argument and that was the turning point or? Yeah, um, yeah, that was the point where I was, where I realised this is actually a problem that I need to to sort out. So, um, after I moved out of home and went to university when I was eighteen, I found university nigh on impossible to be honest, and I ended up dropping out because I, yeah, it was not an environment that I could flourish in. I think is the nice way, of, nice way of pushing it. No. Um, no. And then I went straight into to work and then I just spent my early 20s getting further and further mired in depression getting very suicidal and just yeah just very very miserable um I was very fortunate that actually I met my wife at university so she's the only thing I only positive thing I got out of university um but it was yeah when we when we were first living together that I really realised, no, this is the problem that I've got to face. So at the time, um, fortunately, in the 12 years since, 11 years since, um, the NHS has changed a little bit. At the time, my NHS trust did not diagnose autism in adults. Full stop. There was no, there no grey area there. If you were an adult seeking a uh, an autism diagnosis, they weren't interested. Um, 
at the time, however, I had a very sensible job at an insurance company. And one of the benefits I had was Booper. Uh, it was an exceptionally good Booper policy. So I was able to get a referral to a psychiatrist, um, saw the psychiatrist, had an assessment, and it was very, very straightforward because it was textbook. Um, so from that point, um, she immediately uh, referred me for a course of CBT with her, which again, thanks to my Booper scheme, was was covered. Whereas if I'd gone through, if I'd gone through the NHS, even even now that they do diagnose autism in adults, thankfully, um, I still I still got very special treatment that that you wouldn't get without going private at the moment. Yeah. Um, and she helped me untie the knots. So I, uh, basically, if you are an autistic person trying to function in uh, a normal society, you have to create rules and you have to create routines for you to live by, not because you want to live the same day every day, but because you know this is a safe route, you know this is a safe behavior. So that's what you've got to repeat. The risk of going off piste could be so severe that the risk just isn't worth it so you create these safe routines but a result of being too routine is uh you i had a network of of butterfly effects in my brain that i was very very scared of a network of unintended consequences so i was very worried if i did this action it would cause that action which would cause that action which would cause that action so that's a combination of my autistic brain plus learnt behavior from my mother really really snowballing so the first thing that i had from the cbt was this lovely lady we had these sessions and she untied all these knots she essentially said look you're not that important if you do this the world isn't going to end this butterfly effect you've made up it doesn't exist so just wind your neck in calm down <laughs> and um and just just stop it uh unfortunately yeah. she was able to put together a very persuasive and factual arguments so that was a that was a much quicker process than I was expecting um, but then it came a process of learning a toolkit and learning more effective um, survival techniques however um, even after that point so that was 2013 it wasn't until 2018 that I actually came out um, so by my, my my wife obviously knew, uh, my dad and stepmom knew, my in-laws knew, and two of my closest friends knew. And then in 2018, I just came out and told all and sundry. And actually yeah. that was the most positive, healthy, constructive step I could ever have taken. And whenever I'm speaking with a newly diagnosed adult or basically someone who can't handle it the first thing I say is tell people tell people tell people tell people because you haven't got to hide then um and what you'll find in 95% of cases is that they say oh really that's interesting and then carry on the conversation like nothing ever happened but you haven't got this great big secret lurking over your shoulder um worried that that they're going to think you're a weirdo and and leave you i think nowadays it's a bit easier for people as well because there's a bit more information out there as you say a lot of people's only experience of autism was rain man uh and yeah when they're like well you're not that's the bit that's uh, 
to clarify that point, that is, first of all, it's not an accurate depiction of autism, but also... No, it's not. Autism isn't one thing. That's another thing that people don't realise. It's, it's something that depressed people and, and bipolar people struggle with as well, because people want you to be a wreck. They just, they say, you are autistic. You can't be, you are functioning, you know? And that's well, not true, that is the... So there's two... There's three responses I've always got when I've told people. The first is shrug shoulders. Oh, would you like a coffee? And that, as I say, 95% of cases. Um, the second I've had has been a very well-intentioned, oh, well, we're all on the spectrum a little bit, aren't we? No, no, we are not. <laughs> there it are bothers, many, that many characteristics me. that, yeah, there are many characteristics that make up the neurodivergent brain profile. But the fact that you have one of those 20 does not mean we're all a little on the spectrum. It's a little bit OCD. It's the same. Yes. Oh, I, I have a friend who is genuinely and severely OCD. And on his behalf, I get so triggered when people say, oh, I need my towels neatly folded because it really messes with my levels and my OCD. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My, my mate couldn't leave the house for two weeks because of it. It's not the same. Not the <laughs> so, same. yeah, there's... So that's... That's a very well-intentioned response. And at the last person who said that to me, I, I said immediately, look, I know what you think you're saying is, I understand you, I accept you, and I don't mind at all. But what you're actually saying is, I devalue your diagnosis, I devalue your experience. And I was like, I know that's not what you're saying. You're a lovely guy. Yeah. But yeah, it's, but the, uh, the, the response I've had a couple of times and makes me want to, makes me want to get violent is the, Oh, well, at least it's not proper autism. Um, and I I don't know where to begin deconstructing this one. Yes, yeah. I'm delighted I haven't got nonverbal autism. But, and I mentioned it earlier, the suicide rates among high-functioning autism people are absurd. Mm. It nearly killed me. Everyone I know with a high-functioning autism di diagnosis they, to a T, 100% of them will say, oh, was that time I nearly killed myself? <laughs> it, yes, and, and you know, yes, I'm, I, it's great that I can communicate and talk with people, but my brain is trying to kill me. So, yeah. yes, no, it's, uh, I know, you, yes, it's a real, oh, oh, it's the... Uh, I know so, you. Yeah, that, that's funny. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, very frustrating um, to articulate because I think that we've go through, uh, I say we because I, I've had it with bipolar as well, where people have been like, oh yeah, we all get a little bit sad sometimes. And you're like, it, it, it's not a little bit sad. And also, that's not all it is. With autism, it's not that you're, I, I'm, I'm not, it's not that sometimes I don't like being touched. It's that you are having sensory overload constantly, among other things. Among yeah. all the other various different traits that come with autism. And so for them to say, oh, I have one trait of this, is like to say, I know what it's like being black. I also have brown eyes. It's not the same yeah. thing. You aren't going through those. Yeah, I, think that I mean, that's... like, touch is a... Oops, sorry, sorry. No, no, you, you're the... I, uh, I talk as... Uh, oh. Touch, for example, is a... Uh, in my early 20s, um, I lived a 
about a solitary life as I was able to arrange. And I remember I had a lovely colleague who I could I could talk to her. But to be honest, uh, and I to be honest, I think I think if it wasn't for her, I would have killed myself. I, I think that the the thoughts and attempts I had, I think she was the, the the grain of sand tipping the balance just the other way. So she no, was she was nice. really really, and this was this was before my diagnosis, but when I was in a very very difficult place, as as most people who haven't got a who are autistic or are on the spectrum and haven't got the diagnosis. So I remember once she touched me on the arm, just a gentle touch like that. Um, it was supportive, it was friendly, and I could still feel that touch a week afterwards right. because. Jeez. It was it was alien. It was weird, and because yeah, it was it, it, it was a real because it was such a sensory sensory overload. Um, yeah, it's just oh, that's an odd it's an odd one, but it's no no it's, it's not so much one. more than oh I don't like certain textures. Like, again, as, as a kid, some of the worst nightmares that I had, like literally writhing in bed screaming. Uh, were nightmares about textures, and I wouldn't so, even know how to process that. No, and like, I, I, like people say, "Oh, well, don't like the texture of Velcro or something." Oh, okay. Have you ever lain in bed screaming <laughs> because you had a nightmare about a texture? <laughs> what <laughs> so, exactly? <laughs> you can't be saying I'm a little bit of this when you haven't. You can't even get close to that, especially when, as you say, your brain's trying to kill you. You were depressed and suicidal. And they, they they would never even get close to that. And and so right, okay. So let's let's shine. We've we've talked about that bit. Let's shine a little brightness on it. You have you got your diagnosis. You were mm. depressed and suicidal, and I know that that still you still have that parts of that. But you are in a better place. Uh, the brightness now. is the brightness is so much brighter. I hand on heart, hand on heart, say that my best feature my best skill set um my yeah the best parts of me come from my autism because mm -hmm. i accept it now yeah. um i have i now work for a business that understands that i have different things to offer i'm not in the right role at the moment but i'm in a business that understands it i've got a wife who understands i've got friends who understands and all the things that were previously making life impossible, I've got the people around me to to mean that those aren't issues. So now I get to I get to enjoy having really intense interests. I get to enjoy getting excited about sharing information. Um, I get to I get to enjoy learning new things that fascinate me. I get the benefits of having a great memory when I need to. I can design things in my head. So I've got a few DIY projects going on. I won't put anything down on paper. I'll have drawn them, built them all in my head. I'll have worked out where the stress weighting is going, worked out all the drill connections, and then I can just get on and build it because I've built it ten times over in my head, and I know where I know where the problems are. Um, I honestly, I feel like I feel like it's a bit of a superpower that I've got because the the flip side to it just it, it because I've been open and because I've got the right people around me. I just don't experience the flip side. Yeah, I mean, I have difficult days. Um, every now and then I have to say to Penny, 
uh, my wife back. So look, I, I just need a bit of bit of alone time. And and actually, as part of that, I've, I've been running for the last few years, um, which is perfect. It's goal orientated. It's statistical. Um, it's not reliant on any external factors. It is just me versus me, and it means I can have one, two, three hours out the house on my own to have a think a couple yeah. of days a week without anyone thinking I'm being a weirdo. Um, <laughs> but you run a lot. You what, what? What have you done? Like, yeah. How many marathons have you run now that I know of? Uh, uh, seven. Seven plus. But actually, I know that you've been yeah. doing. It's more than that, though, isn't it? It's seven real, like seven official ones, uh, and then how many have you run over this lockdown? Oh, I've done. Uh, I, did, I did a so I did a few but it's seven including the virtual ones so I've done four in-person ones and then I did I did a charity one that I created for Stonewall um, yeah. to raise a bit of money for them because oh, it's a you should. ridiculously <laughs> important charity yeah. um, and I did the virtual London Marathon because I just thought it'd be yeah, be good fun, and and then I went out on the training run and, and accidentally ran a marathon as well. Um, oh. So okay. yeah, it's <laughs> and that's and that's another that see that I think that that's because you I, you did one in your back garden, and I couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, I did a half marathon in the back garden. That that was that was a year ago today. Um, uh, it wow. was it was um, yeah, that was a one thousand one hundred and fifty laps in the back garden um and actually that that brings me on to two more of the things that in all honesty are benefits from autism uh one is yeah the ability to focus also it's fantastic for ignoring pain um it really, really is autistic people autistic people are almost universally have higher pain thresholds and can essentially shut off um not to a superhuman extent i don't want to claim that i'm like an X-Men or something, but um, if if I'm on a run and something starts hurting, I can just ignore it and and carry on. I mean, we, we've spoken before about my lack of medical self-care because I've I've ignored major symptoms and uh, and just blindness. carried on because it, it was hasn't blindness. been convenient. Yeah, uh, blindness, blind. for example. And, <laughs> yeah, um, and actually ignoring major medical symptoms is is a fairly typical <laughs> trait on the autistic spectrum. If you're um, at home listening to this and you've suddenly gone blind, get to the hospital. Tom ignored it. <laughs> yeah. Um, How long was it before you I, went to the yeah, doctor? Well, it's happened twice. The first time I didn't even mention it to anyone for a day. And then the second time, uh, if it hadn't been for my wife, I probably wouldn't have gone to the doctor then either um <laughs> but you said this is a universal i'm going to sneeze i apologize <coughs> this is a universal uh trait it's a, it's a fairly common trait from people on the autistic spectrum that they will ignore medical symptoms uh and uh, and particularly handle with pain a bit better so yeah for my for, for my running it's it's fantastic i can turn off how much everything hurts and i can just push myself which is a fantastic mental release because it gives me really great thinking time and the ability to channel a lot of a lot of the autistic traits into something harmless that's actually doing me a bit of good 
I didn't know. See, it gives me a lot of even... data to count. I didn't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that that was just one of the traits. Just that you say it's not superhuman, but if you're ignoring blindness, then that's that's getting. To... It, it, I mean, it was only partial blindness. It's only partial blindness. Just at home. Oh, yeah. Uh, guess I'm doing. Yeah. Guess I'm not reading but that yeah, book today. Uh, I mean, when I when I did my first marathon, I'd actually been in hospital three days before with a kidney infection and kidney stones. Um, kidney. And I said to the doctor, I was like, "There is no way I'm not getting on the plane, and there is no way I'm not doing the marathon." And fortunately, she must have been a runner herself because she went off came back with armfuls of drugs and said, if you must do it, and then this is what you've got to take. It's like, armfuls right? of drugs. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing, but at least, at least, at least you made it through and you're alive now, alive yeah, uh, and ready to go blind at a moment's notice. Uh, actually, from the perspective of a disclaimer, I should state I did end up in the medical tent immediately after that marathon. Um, so, so I wouldn't recommend that behaviour. Um, no, we're, so, we're talking about how here we're talking about things. So th these are just symptoms or they're traits, not symptoms, traits of autistic yeah. people that maybe people who are listening to this at, at home are like, this is something that I do. They're, they're ticking 19 out of the 20 boxes instead of one out of the 20 boxes. Yeah. And they're going actually, and the last tick for them is, yes, I have ignored a broken wrist or a broken ankle and gone to yeah. work for the well, actually, I, I did ignore a severely injured wrist. And, <laughs> um, but actually, while we're talking about boxes that need to be ticked, there's a big one that I would like to cover, and that's the matter of empathy. A lot of the perception about people on the autistic spectrum is that mm. we lack empathy. And no, that's the psychopath. We get empathy <laughs> wrong. So there is a, there's a, there, are issues, there are situations where I don't empathise correctly, where I don't empathise enough. But actually... Over empathy is is as big an issue um, as as lack of empathy. I had, I believe, I mentioned to you at, at the time a few weeks ago. I was really feeling down, and it's because I had five or six friends coming to me, basically because they all had legitimate problems, and I was talking to my friends, caring for my friends because that's what you do, and yes. I'd over empathised with all those people to the extent that I was feeling utterly utterly just 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 broken just completely empty because mm. i had these people and i i really cared about um but yeah and yeah the, the perception of, of autism is that lack of empathy and that that does upset me again actually portrayals of autism in the media um the curious instance of the the dog in the night time is i think that's probably like autism's breakthrough into mainstream media but yes um and it, in a lot of ways it's very good but the portrayal of empathy within that um i'm very confident that a lot of people on the autistic spectrum would would struggle to struggle to get on board with that yeah i i because i i've seen so when, I, i've actually seen the play that dog in the night time uh, the incident uh, the dog in the night time and that the character in that is completely cut off from the world, like completely. Mm. That's the point of it. And I, you are a very empathetic person. And, and actually, most people who I've met on the autistic spectrum have been exceedingly empathetic or exceedingly sympathetic, where 
I think almost it's got to the point where you're overcompensating for fear of coming across as under empathetic. Maybe that's part of it, you know, where the portrayal of it is this one thing and you're like, no, well, so you try a little bit harder to come across, to, to experience it to the point where that masking behavior is internalized, like we said earlier, and then mm. you're suddenly feeling all of it. Yeah, uh, potentially. Um, it's an interesting one. I mean, part of it for me is that I consciously, I want to. This is going to sound really big-headed, but I want to. I want to try and help people. I want to try and wherever possible make the world a better place. And I believe I can do that by talking to people. Um, a lot of, a lot of people, um, a lot of neurodivergent people will have an issue with oversharing. Um, mm. And sort of a verbal diarrhea thing, where once you once we start talking, as you, you will have noticed in numerous conversations, it just sort of keeps keeps spilling out, um, and often there's no filter as to where the spill should end. And I've certainly uh, said things to you that reasonably shouldn't have <laughs> shouldn't not not that they're offensive, but just that it's it's uh, TMI. Um, and no, I think I, see that, that's why I think we we'll um, get on is because I overshare, you overshare. In the, at the in the middle, there's some kind of there's one of our other friends that are like, right, I guess it's time to to go then. And there's, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, when it's when it's between ourselves, I I like to call it honesty. But yeah, oversharing is probably the more yeah the, the more the more accurate representation. But I, I I do think that if you are known for oversharing, even if it's not, if people don't consciously know you for oversharing, then they do feel more inclined to. To, to confide in you I've always had people um come up to me and, and talk to me and I really want to try and create a positive outcome from that in fact I'm actually doing a mental health first aid course in a couple of weeks time oh. um to try and make it so that I can uh I can provide more hopefully more effective um assistance people who come to me but actually uh, consciously part of that is to help me manage it better uh, personally mm. when I do have people come to me um, yeah. and I believe uh, I believe that typically a lot of the people who do the mental health first aider courses are already acting as an ad hoc mental health first aider and are doing the course to learn how to better manage it themselves um, I think that, that is a massive trait of people who have gone through things. So be it autism, be it yeah. mental health problem. They always you just learn because, compassion. Yes. Yeah. We were talking about it before, before we came on to hear about when you go to therapy and you have become an expert in the therapy because you've been going for so long. You often, like I often meet a therapist and I'm like, well, I've been in therapy longer than you were trained. So... <laughs> and, and 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 you get so when you get the opportunity to help someone like you say with mental health um first aid you are already pretty much up to trauma surgeon you know you're yeah i feel like if i had to if i had to bodge along pretending to be a counselor for a week i feel like i could do a, a fairly fairly compelling impression because yeah, i i I've been seeing various counsellors probably since I was about 13 or 14. Um, but it's uh, actually, it's you were saying about once you start to learn the ways, um, 
all the counsellors and therapists I've seen prior to now have been very cuddly, very loving, very nice, mm. which isn't effective whatsoever. Um, no. And my current, the current one who has been an absolute miracle worker is really no nonsense. And when she thinks I'm giving her a scripted answer or the correct answer that she wants to hear, or, or just basically wasting her time in any way, she'll call me up on it straight away, um, which is which is fantastic. In fact, I think um, I think all all neurodivergent people and all autistic people, if you can be honest, straight to the point, and not beat about the bush, not caveat things in expressions, that's what we need. We're having to puzzle out so much of the world that if you start talking in enigmas and riddles, it's not it's not going to get through. So yeah, this this particular lady is so no nonsense. Says exactly what she thinks, um, and it's been it's been absolutely fantastic treatment. Well, that's good. I mean, and it's good. And when you find the right one, that is a big big turning point. It only yeah. takes one as well. It only takes one, the one right one who says the right things and the right. Mine was a one called Emma who said, "You got to think of it like brain flu," and that was I remember mm. that being the because again bipolar, it's not not the same. She was like, "The way you're feeling, whatever it is, is temporary. Be you up, be you down. It's temp. It's flu. You're going to get through it. A week from now, you're not going to be that person. You're going to." You don't think, oh, I've got a blocked nose. That's me forever. And, I, and uh, you know, after 15 years yeah. of everyone saying, fill in this questionnaire. Oh, you've got the wrong answers. That means you go on the pills. Um, that it, You get to the point where uh, you meet someone who actually wants to deal with it. It, it helps. Um, so we can, obviously we've been talking for a while now. What I would say, there's two things I want to cover with you. If someone's listening to you and watching this and they suspect that they have autistic traits, what would you suggest they do? Is there a place where you'd suggest they should go? Confirm that. Okay. Um, so first off, I'm always happy to have people get in touch with me. Uh, yeah. I believe you'd be putting on my Instagram handle uh, somewhere yeah. in this. Uh, so I'm always happy for people to speak to me. I think it's really really important if you don't want to speak to me that's perfectly reasonable so the main resources are the national autistic society they're a fantastic organization and a fair chunk of my marathons have been raising money to support them um and thankfully actually a gp is now able to offer a lot more support it will be slow but it exists and obviously you've got your staples of the samaritans there's mind if you're having a mental health crisis call Samaritans, call mine, call someone immediately. And there are a lot of places where you can do that. If it's not an emergency, good. Uh, yeah, you got me, National Autistic Society and your GP um, that you can speak to. See, those are, those, are, those, are, those are great suggestions. And if you had, the last thing is, if you've got one message that you would give to someone who was concerned and in a similar, similar situation to your younger self before you had the diagnosis, what would it be if you had something that you could just say that might make them feel a bit better about the journey? When you come to terms with it, it will be your greatest attribute. It will be a feature of yourself that you'll love and you won't want to, you won't want to lose. If I was offered a magical pill to get rid of it tomorrow, it, I wouldn't for a second consider taking it. Um, it's take, I'm 36, it's taken me 
a very long time to come to terms with it. It's taken a lot of love and support from some fantastic people. Um, but yeah, you will get there. Please don't kill yourself. I know that life is utterly exhausting, utterly draining, and you're sick of constantly failing to meet expectations and constantly failing to failing to fit in with social work professional expectations but hold on come to terms with it speak to people um, and it will become a real asset see that's a good message i think you, no one fits in is a good one everyone is yeah you don't try to yeah uh, but yeah okay so thank you very much for everyone listening to the mental health bar this has been tom glibbery as tom says i'm going to put tom's uh contact details in the description for this podcast and the description of the youtube video so it'll be down in the comments for the youtube video but it'll be in the description of the podcast whichever way you are viewing or watching this uh we'll be back next week but thank you very much tom for coming on and enlightening us about your journey with your or for your autism um diagnosis um i hope you've had a lovely time here nice it's been really it's been really good it's it's great to be able to share the positivity and I know it was necessary to share spend more time on the challenges than the positivity but it's great to be able to end on such a such a positive note um, yeah we need and to I really you hope you to that, show the journey you've got to show the journey yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh, but thank you very much Tom um, and we'll see you all next week bye bye everyone